This last Sunday service of Spiritual Renewal Week is always a little mixed. It's uh, We all feel uplifted and joyful from this beautiful, beautiful week, and yet now we have to make a transition away from the group support that we've all felt to our own. And so there's a happiness and a sadness mixed together. But we'll talk about how to fix that during Sunday service. This morning's topic, we almost chose a different one, but I suppose it's appropriate, is does Satan exist? Truth is one and eternal. Realize oneness with it in your deathless self within. The following commentary is based on the teachings of Paramahansa Yogananda. The Bible tells us in chapter 4 of the Gospel of St. Matthew, Then, after baptism, was Jesus led up of the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted of the devil. To most modern minds, this passage seems quaintly obsolete. Psychologists would say, have said in fact, that the temptation of Jesus, if it occurred at all, was purely psychological. They call it a projection of desires lurking in his own subconscious mind. The subconscious plays a strong part, certainly, even if not a unique one, and any testing the spiritual seeker must undergo. The Bhagavad Gita, in dealing with this undeniable reality, quotes Arjuna in the third chapter, and then Sri Krishna's reply. Yet tell me, teacher, said Arjuna, by what force doth man go to his ill unwilling, as if one pushed him in that path? Krishna replied, Desire it is, passion it is, born of the darkness which pusheth him. Mighty of appetite, sinful and strong is this man's enemy. Yet even Krishna describes passion as born of the darkness. The fact is, as Paramahansa Yogananda wrote in Autobiography of a Yogi, All thoughts vibrate eternally in the cosmos. Thoughts are universally and not individually rooted. A truth cannot be created, but only perceived. Psychology, yes, but psychology attuned to the currents of consciousness that pervade the entire universe, attracted by each of us according to our own personal inclinations. Yogananda, quoted in The Path, said, I used to think Satan was only a human invention, but now I know and add my testimony to that of others who lived before me that Satan is a reality. He is a universal conscious force whose sole aim is to keep all beings bound to the wheel of delusion. We should take pains, then, to attract uplifting currents of universal consciousness and to avoid attracting the negative, which, diseased that it is, 
can infect our thoughts, even while it leads us to believe that our thoughts are purely our own. Thus, through Holy Scripture, God has spoken to mankind. Om, Om, Om. Good morning, everyone. It's such a joy to have shared this week together. And I'd like to start first with a reading from our guru from Whispers from Eternity. And I must admit, in all humility, when I was looking for a passage, I just opened, and this was the one that was there. And I thought, this is perfect. Reinforce thou all our blended prayers. The streamlets of our prayers rush out and can join with the wellsprings of our hearts, uniting in a single mighty flow. Our broad, deep-flowing rivers of prayer move swiftly toward the oceanic presence, breaking all narrow embankments of indifference, dissolving every eddy and large whirlpool of worldly desire, flowing freely over the protruding rocks of bad habits and straightening the once winding ways of delusion. Our great river of devotion crosses sands of human oblivion, uncounted lives lost in eternity to present memory and inundates every trace of past trials and painful past experience. And yet, even now, thy shores seem far away. Doggedly, our flood moves on toward thy shining sea of vastness. Pour thou unceasingly the raindrops of thy mercy, swelling the flood of our prayers, that, that they reach at last triumphantly thy ever-awaiting shores. That's sort of what it felt like this week. <laughs> Just our united prayers moving forward through music and sharing ideas and satsang and kirtan and plays and dance and meals and beauty and service and meditation. Just this vast flood of our prayers uniting in a great ocean. And I always feel at this point a great wave of gratitude for everything it took to make this week happen, for everyone in the community here at Ananda Village who served, for all of you as guests who came and took time out from your lives and dealt with heat and dust and mosquitoes and all those things. We're going to India, so this is just preparation for us. But it's just so wonderful to be together. And then, of course, to the Expanding Light staff, the kitchen, the front desk, the karma yogis. You really, it's, it takes a community to raise a spiritual renewal week. And, and it 
and it takes all of you to make it worthwhile. And I also want to thank you. You know, we this is our, uh, what is it, we started in 1969, so this is our 47th Spiritual Renewal Week. And as the years go by, those of you who come, we can just feel the greater and greater receptivity, and it makes it so fulfilling and gratifying. You know, the... Oh, also, I wanted to mention the temple dedication last night. It was so beautiful. It felt really like this temple was coming down from the astral world. And a friend of mine who lived, still lives here and lived at Ananda in the early days reminded me of a story that happened in 19, early 1970s when we first began planning the community. We had the master plan at that time where just about to get approval for the master plan for the completion of the rest of it. But we had it posted in the mailroom, and the temple was, in fact, sited right where it is now. And someone who was a little cynical and sarcastic saw this big scheme for houses and schools and buildings and gardens and temples, and he wrote on it, or this person, I shouldn't say he, this person wrote on it, I'll believe it when I see it. And then someone else came and wrote in bigger letters, I'll see it when I believe it. (laughs) And that's the truth. That's the truth. And, you know, it's so wonderful. I just delight never, ever increasingly in the presence, moment by moment, of these great masters. They're not limited by time and space. I saw uh, in our little kind of daily bulletin that said, what did Yogananda do today? Today, in 1932, long time ago, he welcomed the Olympic athletes from India, the Indian athletes who were in L.A. for the 1932 Olympics. So Yoga Master had a big dinner for all the Indian Olympiads. And here we are. It's still uh, reflecting that. And this week, in 1950, so that's, what, uh, 66 years ago, he initiated, Master initiated, the first week-long convocation. So here we are, carrying it on, and there's no time and space. And as Jyotish spoke so profoundly and eloquently, this third wave, wave after wave of consciousness goes out to re-express these teachings. Master was asked, is this a new religion? He said, no, it's a new expression, a new giving forth of these teachings, and we are all a part of that. And it's, as we travel around the world and meet people in, from many, many different countries, it is just so beautiful to see how Master's teachings are have found root it, beyond culture and race and background and economics or educational status. It doesn't matter. You feel that people are, this is my own. This is what I've been looking for. And when we read this passage today, does Satan exist? 
Swami gives another interpretation of that passage, which I think is more helpful, the passage from uh, the Bhagavad Gita, where it says it is born, where do, where, what compels us to act in ways that we know will be not in our highest interest. And Swami gave, a, I found, a more helpful explanation. He said, desire it is born of Rajoguna. Now, for those of you who know the teachings of yoga, sattva guna is the elevating, the spiritual, that which draws us to God. And rajaguna is the energizing, the activating. It's the guna of dwapara yuga. So it's very comfortable to us as dwaparians. We feel comfortable with that state of constant movement and restlessness. And then there's tamoguna. And that's the darkening, the deadening that pulls us down. And so, in a way, when you say, oh, desire it is and all that, we think, oh, gosh, I'm so bad, I have desires. But if you think, no, it's that activating guna that draws us out and catches us. And we can't help it. We're swimming in it. But the great ones give us a way out, too. Because as long as the mind is restless, it goes out. And we spoke of this at the Kriya initiation the other night. How can we meditate when the mind is drawn out into that restlessness? It's not our fault. It's the condition in which we find ourselves. But because of that, knowing that this is the condition, knowing that in Dwapara Yuga, it's going to be really busy. You know, in Kali Yuga, in the Dark Ages, the main invention of 500 years was the wheelbarrow. <laughs> and in the age we live, I mean, it's just every day, if you read the technology that's emerging, new and different, and oh, I have to have that, and wow, look what that does, and I can know that in a minute. And yet, it's really not that different. <laughs> it's just heightened externalized energy. And in we spoke of this at the Kriya Initiation, in Autobiography of a Yogi, in the chapter which many of us have referred to, Experience in Cosmic Consciousness, Master's trying to meditate with his thoughts being very restless, and then Sri Teshwar, our beloved Sri Teshwar, I say this for those of you who are just joining us today, uh, he was mentioned a lot during this week. Um, he said, calls Master down, and, he, and, Shrikta, and Master says, I was trying to meditate, and Shrikteshwar said, I know how you were meditating with your lo- mind, your thoughts like leaves in the wind. And then Shrikteshwar taps him on the heart, and Master said, it feels as, felt as though the breath was drawn out of me. Well, Swami explains that too. He said it wasn't that the breath was drawn out of him. By tapping him on the heart, he interiorized his prana. He interiorized his life force, his consciousness. And only when we do that does we, can we stop, pull the plug on the restless thoughts. It's, it's a gift. The whole science of yoga and meditation is the antidote for the times in which we live. It's to bring, to help us to walk through this world of turmoil and unrest and confusion and restlessness and to say, I can do this. 
I can be centered in myself. I can calm my thoughts. No matter what happens, I can do this. And the more we practice meditation, the more we feel that, the more we realize, I have this under my control. I don't need, I remember once I was going through a period of my life of a lot of testing, and I would lay awake at night worrying, worrying. I felt like my mind was a little squirrel running on a, one of those little, you know, wheels that they run on. And finally I got to the point where I said, what if everything I'm worrying about happens? Every single thing. Disaster. Or we're studying Italian because we're leaving. Disastro! <laughs> so much more effective. <laughs> You know, we a friend of ours, who Kirtani, who lives in Italy, said once she was uh, in Rome and she was didn't know exactly this, how to find the street she was going to, and so she stopped a man who was carrying two valises, and she said, "Scusi, signora, dove strada viale?" And the man thought for a minute, put down his suitcases, and he said, "Non lo so, I don't know," but he had to be able to use his hands to say that. So, in any case, to be able to, no matter what's happening, to have the ability to go within. And then, what else catches us when we're bound up in this restless energy? I read a beautiful statement where it said, everyone's heart has a God-shaped hole that only he can fill. And so as long as we're restless, we look outside of ourselves. We think, oh, this is going to make me happy. And oh, I know that's going to not make me feel lonely if I go there or do there or meet that person or whatever. And, and so the heart is restless. The heart is a restless hunter, always looking for the prey that's going to make it feel fulfilled. But as long as our minds are restless. We reach outside of ourselves. And how long it takes us to realize that the only thing that fills our heart, that fits into that God-shaped hole, is God. Nothing else. It's not to say we have to leave the world and abandon our families and our friends. But just to know that the only perfect fit, the only thing that fulfills everything we're looking for, is the presence of God within us. And Swami has that beautiful song that the singer sang the other day. And by the way, thanks again and again to the musicians and singers. The concert and the music before the classes were so profound. But in Swamiji's song, God's Call Within... He says, friend, how long must we wander? Friend, how long must we seek our home in a land where all is strangers? Love locks her door. And then it goes on to say, turn, turn, turn within. In silence of soul, in cave of love, Find my abode. And this is the secret of it all. 
just to turn within. And I would offer you this one little bit of advice of how we leave this week. We've had our, as Peter explained, we've had our wonderful mirror neurons and we've inspired each other. But try this one thing. I'm going to try it. However long you meditate each morning, if it's five minutes, if it's ten minutes, if it's three hours, when you get to the point when you say, that's enough, I'm getting restless, push through. Five minutes more. That's all. Five minutes more. I have found there have been periods in my life where God has blessed me with the ability to meditate for long hours. It comes and it goes, I admit humbly. But I notice there's always that period, that moment where you say, okay, that's enough, that's deep enough, that's, I've had enough of God in this meditation. <laughs> if you take, it's the one thing I would give you as advice, five minutes more, push through it, and that's where you'll find God. Really. It's where you begin to feel his presence. So let's all of us take this on as a challenge. Five minutes more. And I have a little secret. It may turn out to be more than five minutes. But if you say, I will give those extra five minutes, you will be very surprised at the treasures that those five minutes have waiting for you. So... Jatish also will share a bit now, but thank you all. It's been a great, great joy, and I feel truly uplifted and recharged. We leave Tuesday for three and a half months of touring in Italy and India, but I, I, we will carry all of you with us, and the blessings from this week will be the wind in our sails. So I, too, am going, like Davy, to suggest that we all engage in something together. You know, she talked about the God-shaped hole, and one can easily imagine an odd-shaped hole in our heart or in our heart chakra. But it's, for me at least, a little harder to imagine where we find just that right puzzle piece out there that's going to fit in that hole that is particularly and individually shaped within us. But there is a place to look for that piece that will fulfill your heart. And it's not out there. It's in here. But as Ananda pointed out, more specifically, it's right here. She was saying that when she's been experimenting with putting her finger here and feeling the energy at the spiritual eye, but more specifically, I want to suggest that we feel, do, we don't need necessarily to use the finger, but let's for a moment do use the finger. Press on your spiritual eye. Now close your eyes. 
and see whatever light you see there. It doesn't have to be the spiritual eye, but everybody will see some light there. Just so that you connect. And now, feel the presence of joy there. Someone described joy as happiness without a reason or without a cause. It's beyond that, but that's a good place to start. Feel just a sense of relaxed happiness or joy at that point. Now put your finger down, but continue to feel that. Okay, could everybody feel that? Maybe not terribly strongly, but I think everybody some response. Now, that's a very, very simple practice. I mean, it took us, what, 15 seconds, 20 seconds to do that? But it is where you will find the God-shaped hole to fill whatever you're wanting. Anandamoy Ma said that joy is the natural food of the mind. And we will always be hungry until we find that joy. And so, as Davy said, that restlessness, trying to stop the restlessness, again in the Gita, it said, is like trying to stop the wind. And so, trying to stop the fluttering of these beautiful curtains on the altar is like trying to stop the mind. All of you, just for a moment, stop them. Did it work? All of you, for a moment, stop your thoughts. Did it work? No, there's always that restlessness. And so, in the Gita, it says, the mind is harder to control than the wind. So harder to control than the mind, uh, than, than stopping those curtains with the wind blowing is stopping your thoughts. But Master interpreted that as having a profound reason for Krishna saying that. He said that the wind represents the breath. The breath and the prana are tied together. And when you work on the prana, when you work on that aspect, it calms the wind and the curtains stop fluttering. When you work on your own prana, it calms the mind and the restless thoughts. If they don't stop, they at least settle down. Now, how do we work on the prana? I mean, all of our meditation practices do that to a certain extent. But specifically, the movement of prana is tied to the wind, to the breath, to the air coming in and out, the movement of energy up and down in the outer channels, the irda and the pingala in the spine. And so if we want to calm that down, we need to withdraw the energy from that. Even a little bit of this practice will free you from dire fears and colossal sufferings. Even a little bit of interiorization will help change your life. And I just, along with Anandi and along with all the other speakers, 
from the grace of the masters gave you the key, the 15-second technique to do that. You can do it at any time, in any place. All you have to do is bring your energy to the point between the eyebrows, try to see light there, and feel joy. Now, Davy said a challenge to push through five minutes more in meditation. I would like to suggest for all of us together that let's experiment for one year, maybe until next Spiritual Renewal Week, but let's carry on an experiment where in our meditation for at least the last five minutes or close to the end, close to the last five minutes, we just relax and try to feel joy at this spot. And then periodically during the day, we try to stop for 15 seconds. You can use your finger if it helps. You can close your eyes, but just for 15 seconds, stop and try to feel joy at the point between the eyebrows. Now, this is a very, very simple suggestion, but is it important? Master said that this, I'm going to slow down so that you hear this, this is the fastest way for spiritual progress. Faster than Kriya, faster than meditation, faster than anything else to keep your mind continually at the point between the eyebrows. Well, continually is a big step, but 15 seconds, you can do that, I can do that. Five minutes at the end of meditation, you can do that. I can do that. It's very, very simple. But it will have a profound effect on our happiness. And then once we begin to learn to do this, it isn't hard to do. The only thing hard is to remember to do it. So there was a wonderful Christian saint, Frank Laubach, and he wrote a, a book called The Experiment of Minutes or Game of Minutes. And he said he challenged people for one time each minute, just even for a second to think of God. And he would challenge people when he would give a Sunday service. Let's say it lasted an hour. He would say at the beginning, I want you during the time that I'm speaking, to remember God for at least one second, each minute. And then at the end, he would ask for a show of hands, how many accomplished it every minute while I was speaking? And a few hands would go up. How many accomplished it some of the time? And a few hands. How many forgot to do it at all? And a lot of hands would go up. So, I'm going to speak for about five more minutes. Let's do the game of joy together for five minutes. At least once each minute for the rest of the time that I'm speaking.
bring your mind to the point between the eyebrows and just feel reasonless happiness until you just touch that. That's all you need to do, just touch it. And if we can do this as individuals, really, if we remember to do this so that it becomes an ingrained practice, touch your joy, so it becomes an ingrained practice, then we will have it available for when we really need it. When storms of trial shriek and when worries howl at me, I will... But I'm going to change it. I will, I will drown their power by touching my joy spot for 15 seconds. Because this is God, God, God. We think God is out there. God is some amorphous being. God is Divine Mother. She dresses up and has eight arms. Joy at this spot is God. And so we can chant God, God, God with our tongue or we can stop and connect. Do it now. That connection is God, God, God. And in everything, no matter where I go, the spotlight of my mind will ever keep turning on thee. And in the battle din of activity, I will constantly see joy at that spot. And so, just try it. Now, there's an aspect in quantum physics that I find absolutely fascinating. And that's that two subatomic particles, quantum, can get entangled. And they somehow get connected. So one of the ways that they get connected, entangled, is that they're both spinning together. And then you can take one of those quantum and move it, one of those subatomic particles, and move it to the other side of the world. And if you change the spin of one, the other one instantaneously, it's got physicists baffled because there's no time and space in this. Instantly, the other entangled particle changes its spin too. Now they're trying to get it out on the space station so they can see whether, you know, how far this effect happens. I think it's infinite. We are all entangled by this week. We've all gotten the same spin during this week. And we're entangled not only with each other, but we're entangled with Master and these great gurus. And so if we stay connected to each other, if we share this practice of tuning in to our inner joy, our finding our God-shaped peace that fits that hole in our heart, finding the only food for the mind that will satisfy our hunger. If we can practice that individually and stay entangled, we'll help everybody else practice it too. So for this one year, 
I would like to issue the challenge to myself and to all of us that during every meditation toward the end, we connect with that joy like bathing in the Ganges. It will cleanse our consciousness. And then periodically, however many times, at least once an hour, two or three times an hour while you're awake, that you touch back into that. That's like you bathe in the Ganges and then you take a little sip of the Ganges water, the purifying Ganges water, and you take a little sip of that and you keep that inner purity and inner upliftment going. Anyway, I would like to suggest that we all experiment with this for a year and then see what happens. I think if we do that, we will find profound changes in ourself and in our entangled group of Kriya bonds and Guru Bhais and devotees and all of our other friends will begin those little mirror neurons that Dr. Peter, they'll start vibrating and they'll start feeling the joy also. So let's experiment with that and maybe next year at Spiritual Renewal Week we can gather again and share the results of this spiritual scientific experiment. God bless us all.